0: All right, good morning again. Glad to be together with the church. This is a group that God saw from before the foundation of the world, seated together to hear truths from his word and to minister to your heart. And he's going to do it this morning from Psalm 125. So open your Bible or navigate on your device to Psalm 125. The topic... The psalmist describes God supernaturally surrounding his people the way the mountains are naturally around Jerusalem. The title of our message, round, round, God surrounds, he gets around, yeah, God surrounds round, round, round. Father, thank you for your word. It's it's rich and beautiful. It's full, Lord, of joy. That's because you are presented on every page. In some way or another, Lord, we can see Jesus. And we would love to see you in a really manifest way today, ministering to saints all over this place, Lord. You're here. We know that. Your spirit is in your saints, and he's in this place, as we've met together as the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's our teacher. You're our Lord. Uh, What could go wrong, Lord? Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And those who agreed, set. Amen. Wakanda is protected by an impressive force field. In 2018's Infinity War, the enemy dropships crashed into the force field and were immediately repelled and destroyed. Force field is a critical technology in fictional tales. It's an energy barrier. While it can be used for containment or confinement, its usual function is to protect a person, an area, or an object from attack or intrusion. I can only guess how many times Captain Kirk said, "Raise shields." Isn't that great? They raise their shields. And then it's followed by successive reports on the remaining percentage of shield strength. We're down to 30%, Captain. Transfer shields to the front bulkhead, or whatever they say. And then finally, it's, he's informed the shields can't take another hit. Of course, somehow they survive. The invading alien armada from Independence Day had energy shields that were so potent they could shrug off nuclear weapons without a scratch. Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen that 97-year-old movie. (laughs) Humanity ultimately won by uploading a computer virus to the mothership that disabled the shields and then nuked the mothership before they could correct the problem. Violet Parr, daughter of Bob and Helen, has the power to generate her own force fields and often does so as one of the Incredibles. Back in 2012, Boeing received a patent for a kind of force field No report yet on their progress, but I'd like to be in those meetings, see how that works out. Psalm 125 verse 2 says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, at 2,510 feet in elevation, Mount Zion is the mountain on which Jerusalem is built. Surrounding it are several other taller peaks, such as the Mount of Olives. The psalmist uses this natural shield of the city from enemies as a metaphor for God's supernatural shield of his chosen ones, saying, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. As far back as the book of Job, which is believed to be the oldest book in the Bible, we see God surrounds his people. Satan prefaced his assault upon Job by complaining to the Lord, Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? The Lord is shield, he is hedge, he is a fortress, the hiding place. He is keeper and refuge and rock and shade and shelter and stronghold. Each of those in their own way communicate his surrounding believers. So we want to rejoice in God surrounding us as we work through this psalm. But we also want to talk about those times the shields seem at maybe 50% or down completely and we feel like we can't take another hit. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one, God will preserve you in his forever surround. And number two, God will prove himself to you in his forever surround. Let's take a look at God's preservation in verses 1 and 2. Now, just a, a little preliminary We always need to be cautious when applying things to ourselves that God promised to Israel. We, the church, are not Israel, and Israel was never the church. For one thing, the New Testament reveals several mysteries about the church. As we've learned before, a mystery in the Bible is something that was previously unknown until it was made known in the New Testament. A few of the mysteries revealed about the church are these. The church is one body. It's comprised of Jews and Gentiles. The church is an organism. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And the rapture of the church is said to be a mystery revealed. And that's all to say, how could Israel be the church if the church was a mystery not revealed until the New Testament? I mean, there are many other doctrinal arguments we would use to prove that the church is a distinct entity and work of God from Israel. Uh, And you think, well, Gene, why are we talking about this? What's the big deal? A lot of theologies confuse Israel with the church and the church with Israel. They just see the Bible talking about the people of God in general. You'll read commentaries, usually from a reform perspective, that mention the church in the Old Testament. The problem with that is the church isn't in the Old Testament. It's a mystery revealed in the New Testament after Israel rejected their Messiah. Uh, and it's important if you ever want to study the Bible correctly because nothing will make any sense to you, especially prophecy. You, you can't understand prophecy at all from a futurist standpoint unless we keep Israel and the church separate. We're going to be careful then, but since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can examine his treatment of Israel and we can expect his treatment of us to be similar based on his nature and character. So God, God's nature and his character doesn't change. And so if we're careful, we can see what he did with and towards Israel and apply it to us. The New Testament may not use the same metaphors to describe God's surrounding, but the spirit of verses one and two most definitely apply to us as being secure in Jesus. The New Testament may not ever say that Jesus is a hedge, but it's applicable. And I'd say it's appropriate language for us to employ. So if you're, free, if you're one of those, and all of us do it, who pray, Lord, put a hedge around us, or this church, or these people, perfectly biblical to do that, uh, because it, it draws out a truth about God, that he surrounds us. And so verse one, a song of ascents, this is in the flow of songs that the pilgrims would sing as they were coming to Jerusalem to worship on one of the feast days. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. The word Zion means something like fortification. It is mentioned in the Bible over 150 times, synonymous with the city of God, with the place God says he loves, and that is Jerusalem. It was David's intent during his reign to build a temple on this property. After I wrote that, I thought I wondered if he put a sign on that property. You know how churches do? Future home of Calvary Chapel. And you think, wow, that's exciting. I get excited whenever I see a future home of a church sign because it means there's, there's, you know, life and growth and excitement in that church. Until 10 years go by and that sign is half, you know, one of the legs is gone and it's flapping in the wind and you can only read it because you know what it used to say. So at least if you're going to put a sign out that says future home of your church or anything, just do some upkeep at least have somebody in the church go out there and paint it or something, you know, but otherwise then it becomes discouraging and you think, I wonder what's going on with those people. They were so excited about their church and now they've, all they have is a dilapidated sign. And so, but I, I think probably um, David did not put a sign, but maybe we'll find it in an archeological dig sometime. Future home of God on earth. Solomon, David's son, laid the foundation and built the temple of the Lord. The Bible sometimes calls Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. It was the site where Abraham was asked to offer his son Isaac on an altar as a sacrifice. That episode makes no sense until you realize that it was on that same very spot that God the Father offered his son Jesus as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's one of those passages of scripture in Genesis there where the non-believer says, hey, I can't follow a God who would do this. Well, they don't understand that though it was a real history that it actually happened though abraham was willing to sacrifice his son it is a picture for us a very strong picture of what god would have to do and what he did in order to save us and that is go through with the sacrifice of his own son and so it's actually a very profound very precious very lovely kind of an illustration because it drives home just how uh, terrible sin is and what the cost is to forgive you from it. Jerusalem, by the way, has no strategic military value. You know how there's always, uh, you know, people are saying, well, they they had to take this place because it was a crossroads and all the other armies came through or this would be a refueling state. So there's all these, you know, crazy places that are critical to military strategy, strategy, but uh, not Jerusalem. An advancing army would have to go out of its way to go there. Everything that has happened there really is spiritual more than uh, you know, military. The armies that came against them did so because they hated the Jews, not because they needed Israel as a base of operations. And you see that with Babylon because they destroyed Israel. They didn't need it as a base. They just said, hey, if you're not gonna be a vassal state to us, we're just gonna destroy you. Uh, and they did. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Technically, biblically, Mount Zion and the other peaks will not abide forever. The Apostle Peter tells us that in the future, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. All these things will be dissolved. To quote Taserface, it's metaphorical. Standing in Jerusalem on Mount Zion, the history and the prophecies involving the nation of Israel shouted to his gathered people of his surrounding them with his wonderful, miraculous things that had transpired there and that will again in the future. They didn't look at those mountains and say, well, this isn't technically accurate because we know that the world is going to come to an end. They thought of of, of it what it was, a metaphor that as these mountains have protected us from many enemies over the years, so God is around us. Now, Jesus promised us forever preservation when he said in John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I want to listen to that one phrase at a time. We're not going to take a lot of time here, but I want to show you that uh, as God preserved Israel and promised to, he preserves us as well. And so, jesus started off by saying i give them eternal life god's salvation is entirely a gift it cannot ever be earned or deserved it cannot be achieved anyway it must be received by faith and so if you're saved it's because god the holy spirit worked on your heart to free your will so that you could hear and understand the gospel and come to a decision to receive jesus christ as your savior And that is all the gift of God, a gift of grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he says the gift is eternal life. That doesn't simply mean we're going to live forever. Everyone is going to live forever. But their quality of life isn't eternal life with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. uh, Nonbelievers will live forever in conscious torment in what the Bible calls the lake of fire in what we uh, randomly call hell, created for the devil and his angels. And it's a terrible place. Uh, As far as I can tell, it doesn't have a hierarchy the way Dante says. It's not that the devil is ruling hell, tormenting people. The devil is tormented in hell, and so are those who are in hell along with him. And so the gift of eternal life. And it says they shall never perish. So if you've received the gift of eternal life, you will never perish. And that means once you've received it, you cannot be lost to perish eternally like non-believers. In the Bible, you're either going to perish or you're not. And here he says, if you receive this gift, gift, you shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. No one, either natural or supernatural, can alter your position in the Lord's hand. And it isn't so much just the strength of his hand, although that's certainly true. Uh, I remember when you're a kid and you're trying to get something out of an adult's hand. You think they got candy or something and you, they can't, you know, so they finally bite your knuckles. Uh But this picture to me is that you're in God's hand. It means it's a position. You happen to be in his hand as a result of coming to know Christ and receiving eternal life. You can't perish, and you're positionally before God. Practically, you're still a dodo. Uh, I mean, you you know, you, you still sin. You still have, you know, this body of flesh to deal with. But positionally, you're in Christ. You're in his hand. And finally, my hand is a nail printed hand, the cross upon which he died and Jesus' subsequent bodily resurrection three days later, render all of these things possible and true. Everything he says here about your security and not perishing is proven at the cross where Jesus says it is finished. Sin is uh, forgiven. Sin, Satan, death are all defeated enemies. If you come to me, you'll live forever and you will never perish. Jesus followed that up as if that wasn't enough but in the very next verse he says my father who has given them to me is greater than all no one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand and so somehow in a transfer from the father to the son there's no chance that they're going to fall into the chasm you know there's always in movies there's the oh you know they come up to this chasm and they have to jump over and somebody always falls in and ah. There's no opportunity for you to be lost from the Father's hand to the Son's hand, as it were. Uh, There's no way that Jesus could be more strong about your security. Now, before you let your mind wander to coined catchphrases like eternal security or once saved, always saved, or the doctrines that you grew up in in whatever church, because Christians argue over this, obviously, just read again these 19 words Jesus spoke. And you have to conclude that he preserves you. He began the work in you, and he will what? Finish it. It's not like your project in the garage, you know. And people say, "Well, you can go away from the Lord." Well, sure, but you're either a backslidden Christian or you're an apostate. If you're an apostate, you 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 know you, you say, "Hey, I don't believe in the Lord. I I curse the Lord. There is no God." That kind of thing. If you're backslidden. Uh, I don't want to get doctrinally weird here, but I think all of us are a little backslidden all the time, don't you? Is there one pure heart among us? One who, uh, you know, is not in some kind of an ongoing sin or perhaps just, you know, you sinned this morning. And if you don't think you sinned this morning, you don't have a sensitivity to sin because you did some things that probably were less than what Jesus would have done. And so, uh, you know, There's a lot of people say, well, no, if if Jesus isn't Lord of of all, he's not Lord at all. How much can you sin since we all sin? Where is the the tipping point where I've committed one, two, I I swore 300 times instead of 299 times. And so that's it. I'm lost eternally. Where where Jesus saying, you're, you're in my hand. You're just being a doofus. It would be so much easier if you just walked with me. And if you allowed me to have my power in your life to solve these problems. And so think about that. So God preserves us in his forever surround and he proves himself to you in his forever surround. That's the rest of the psalm. The force field protecting Wakanda repelled the immense herd of outriders, but the continuous pressure by the aliens allowed a few to pierce through. Once the Avengers understood they were at risk of being flanked, Black Panther ordered a section of the shield to be opened to direct their attack upon the gathered heroes. Does Jesus open sections of his shield to expose us to attack? Well, it sure seems that way. Reading the opening chapters of Job, it sure seems the Lord uprooted the protective hedge to allow Satan to rush in. Let's ask two questions, though. Is God's hedge about his children a promise of protection from all material loss? And number two, is God's hedge about his children a promise of protection from all physical illness? Well, you know the answer to that, unless you're a health and wealth heretic. The answer is no. Especially in the church age, we are promised trouble, and lots of it. You can't find a character in the New Testament who didn't have a lot of problems, a lot of trouble, who either was martyred, well, they were all pretty much martyred, those, you know, the apostles, at least, except for John. And John probably wanted to be martyred rather than burned in oil alive and surviving and those kinds of things, you know. So uh, it's, it's all about suffering. And so uh, it isn't that, Je- it can't be that Jesus removes his uh, shield. It can't be that it has to do with our physical suffering. In the book of Romans, in chapter 8, Paul says that God is what? For us. Nothing can separate us from his love, and then he rattles off an incredible list of trouble that comes against us. Likewise, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we read of awful things that befell believers and still do. The life of the apostle Paul was filled with immense suffering. Here at Calvary, we talk about trouble all the time. For one, trouble is a major topic in the Bible. We talk about it because it comes up a lot in verse-by-verse teaching. It's possible to teach the Bible without teaching through the Bible. Uh, topical studies, uh, sometimes that's called, and you avoid—you can avoid. Uh, it's difficult, but you can avoid passages that talk about suffering. But if you go verse by verse and just in your own reading or in teaching on Sunday mornings, uh, seems like there's a lot of talk in the Bible about believers suffering and affliction. For two, even though we know to expect these things, it always surprises us when it comes. What's going on? What, what happened to you? That You know, something bad happened to you, and I, I don't understand that. Why you? Why me? It's like we've, we, we read, don't think these things strange, and then you get up and say, this is strange. Uh, and, and it happens each time. And for three, I really believe the problem of pain and suffering is the number one reason non believers reject God. For sure, it's the number one reason they give. If you're looking for it in media, things you read or watch, you'll see it, where there's always some conversation about how can there be a God if there's so much suffering? And then if there is a religious or a Christian person there, they're always silent as if, I don't know, it's a mystery to me too. You know what? God's the only one doing anything about suffering. The person that's complaining about there being so much suffering is adding to it in their own life by hurting other people. And by refusing to come to know Jesus Christ, God sent his son to die for that suffering, to end those afflictions. Well, it's taken too long. No, no, it's not. Because a lot of people are getting saved while God's long-suffering waits. And so, you know what? We have the answer. And the answer is uh, that God's long-suffering waits. So here's the thing. When we are assaulted... When we're troubled, it isn't because Jesus opened Northwest Section 17 of the force field. His promised spiritual shielding always remains in place. We need to stop thinking that Jesus quits surrounding us and understand that his shielding is spiritual. And so the Lord told Satan, take away all of his material goods, take away his health, but don't kill him. And you'll see that my shielding will hold. I will prove myself to Job. And in the end, he'll come through it. The book of Job isn't about a guy who had a lot of patience and endured, and God said, way to go. There's nothing I can do but, but restore everything to you. That really fooled me. No, it's a story of God's love. And Job coming into that in a way that he couldn't when he was rich and everything was going his way. He drew closer to the Lord. And it wasn't just a try, you know, it wasn't a situation where, okay, so now God's tried me and so I can move on. So whatever I lost, I'll get back. Uh, That doesn't work in real life. Sometimes the loss is permanent and goes on and on. And so it isn't that God says, "Ah, Gene, you need a lesson. You're acting stupid. I I need to do something to you. We live in a fallen world. It's amazing to me that you don't all have diseases. Now think about it. Think about it. What, what, you th- we th- we think we deserve to be healthy, right? Especially in the West, and we're always looking for ways to live forever and to cure every disease and that. And that's fine. Nobody wants to be sick. I don't think we should want that. But it's it, it, look at the world. It's fallen. It's evil. It's wicked. It's sinister. It's satanic. People are dying left and right. It's an amazing thing that you don't get into a car wreck every day that the roof of your building doesn't fall in, that your water isn't polluted, that, whatever it is. Now, I'm not wishing that on any of us, but, but that's the world in which we live. And God says, in that world that I've resolved to save and have provided Jesus to save, and here's my plan, yeah, you can read the rest of my plan in the Revelation, and it's coming soon. In that world where everyone suffers, not just Christians, I shield you and my shield is spiritual and it's sufficient. We need to stop thinking that Jesus quits surrounding us. So verse three, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hand to iniquity. When they are under the scepter means that they're under the authority of wicked oppressors. When they were, God preserved them. And isn't that the history of the nation of Israel? Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, one right after another. Israel was under the scepter of all of them, but she survived. Some of them didn't survive. Egypt isn't the Egypt of old. Assyria was conquered by Babylon. Babylon was conquered by Persia. Persia was conquered by Greece. Greece was conquered by Rome. The Roman Empire doesn't survive. It's going to be revived, but it doesn't survive today. And through all of that history, All of those great empires with their great achievements and their great military, Israel is the one left standing at the end of that cage fight because God surrounded Israel. After the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, Israel was no longer a nation. But even though dispersed all over the earth and targeted for extermination in most of those countries, they survived to become a nation again in modern times. Israel will survive a future extermination attempt by the beast of the revelation, that man best known as the Antichrist. He will go out as a satanic flood against them to destroy them, but they won't just survive physically making it to the end. The apostle Paul tells us that all Israel will receive Jesus and be saved. Verse 3, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. The righteous were those Jews within the nation of Israel who believed God and to whom the Lord thereby declared righteous. They could absolutely trust the Lord would keep them from being overwhelmed, overwhelmed rather by the wicked. Concerning the final words of verse 3, Joseph Benson writes this, because it, it sounds like uh, you know, that, that they're going to get tried so much that they're going to turn to wickedness, but here's what he says. He says, God intervenes lest through human infirmity and the great weight or long continuance of their trouble, the righteous should be driven to impatience or to despair or to use indirect and sinful courses to relieve themselves. We learn from this that God considers a frail frame of his people and proportions their trials to their strength by the care of his providence as well as their strength to their trials by the power of his grace. And so the idea here is... God will not let the problem go longer than it it takes, uh, and he still protects his people. Think of Daniel in Babylon. Daniel finally realized that he was going, after 70 years of Babylonian captivity, that they would go back to Jerusalem. And Daniel hung in there till the end. The New Testament counterpart is to say, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation also to make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so the idea isn't that people will fall into sin, but God is saying, hey, you need to realize, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is difficult, but it is not so difficult that you have to yield to it. I am more powerful than what you are in or going through. And if you want to just wash your hands and give up, then you don't understand that I am surrounding you with things that will help you get through this. And so don't walk away. You know, a lot of Christians do. You know, I mean, tragic things happen, and they say, I just can't take it anymore. And, And God is saying, yes, you can, because I am taking it with you. I am yoked together with you. Whatever you need, I can give you. Add to that this great promise in the book of Jude, Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. In other words, you're not going to be tried so much that he actually stumbles you. You'll be tried maybe right up to that point and then you'll see like Job did that God proves himself to you and you go on in your walk with him with exceeding joy. Verse four, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to the crooked ways The Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Again, keeping the nation of Israel in mind, not all Jews were saved. You weren't saved by being born a Jew or by obeying the law or by offering sacrifices or by a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. As I mentioned a moment ago, you were saved when you believed God. He credited it to you as righteousness. So the good in verse 4 are good by virtue of of God declaring them good. They believed God and he said, you're righteous, you can stand before me. Their uprightness in heart was not the basis of salvation, but rather the result of it. And so it wasn't that, hey God, I am so good, you have to save me. Uh, That's what the Pharisees finally said. And so Jews, they weren't saved by birth. I mean, some of you, especially if you're Italian, well... You're born Italian into the Roman Catholic faith. Where's Rome and Catholic faith uh, located? In Rome. Where do the Italians hang out? And, so, and then you go through all the, the, the sacraments and you think, man, I'm, I'm in. I'm saved I, and I do whatever I want, but I'm in. Ju- the Jewish faith was like that too. So I'm going through the motions. I was circumcised. I'm in. You're only in if you believed God. A lot of people, even when you're a young Christian, you think, well, the Jews were saved by keeping the law. No, the, the things that they did as far as sacrifice were to show the holiness of God and how they needed to be saved. And the rest of the law you know, was was just law, like we have laws. So, so there's ceremonial, but there's also civil laws. And so you weren't saved by keeping the law. You were saved by believing God, and then you kept the law because you were a member of a community of people. The reason that Israel was often under the scepter of wickedness was because the non-believing Jews of verse 5 turned aside to their crooked ways. God therefore led them away by giving the nation over to the wicked nations whose morality and practices they were emulating and whose gods they were worshiping. Just before Nebuchadnezzar uh, took uh, Jerusalem, Jeremiah was begging them to surrender. They were worshiping all kinds of foreign gods in addition to the living God. And doing all kinds of terrible things. And that's why they were taken away. The righteous suffer greatly under the scepter. They were thrown into fiery furnaces. They were thrown into lion's dens. They were thrown into cisterns and left to drown. How is that a hedge? How does that preserve? Remember, the hedge is not protection from or against material physical affliction. I did a quick Strong's Concordance search of the words surround, surrounds, and surrounded. Here are the results in the New King James Version, at least. Psalm 512, for you, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. Uh, Psalm 32, verse 7, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 3210, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Psalm 142, verse 7, bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. And then Psalm 89, verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, your faithfulness surrounds you. And so God's surround promises you all the spiritual enablement you need in the midst of trouble. Do you need to know God's favor? You think, well, that seems like a minor thing. Nah. Because a lot of believers, maybe all of us, but a lot something happens to you that's in the category of bad and you think God's I'm not in God's favor God is singling me out I did something wrong I, I know I should have read that extra chapter this morning in my devotions but because I've let God down he no longer favors me and we chuckle a little bit I'm trying to make it sound a little bit funny but it's real a lot of Christians I think all of us to some extent believe that you know God are you not pleased with me And the Lord here says, hey, one of the things that surrounds you all the time that can never be breached, there's no hole through it. There's no edge to it. It just, you know, Satan can't do anything about it. One of those things is my favor. I favor you. If you're saved, I favor you. I'm going to present you to my father faultless one day. And so, wow, you think, okay. And so do you need a song of deliverance? Maybe you need mercy. Maybe you need the fellowship of other believers. If so, you can count on the Lord's faithfulness to provide them. It says faithfulness surrounds him. And because it does, he is able to extend that to you. As an incredible, Violet could extend her force field to preserve others. And that's a somewhat common sci-fi thing for those with a force field to extend it. And so God extends his uh, you know, faithfulness, proves that he's going to extend his help to you. And I don't think the list exhausts the spiritual resources Jesus has to extend to you. Grace would certainly be another shield, as would love. We sing a chorus here: "Your holiness surrounds me." So there's all kinds of things that you read about the character and nature of God. They say, "Oh, God is surrounding me with that spiritual resource. I am safe within that. That is always available to me. Today I need favor. Tomorrow I need grace. Maybe mercy. Whatever it might be, God's loving kindness." Uh, All of those things are permanent shields. No matter what is happening around you physically, emotionally, materially, in that realm, all of these things apply. And so I say on the basis of God's love for you that anything pure and spiritual you need to surround you would be extended. There's more. In those times when your only shielding is spiritual and God proves to you his love or his grace or his mercy, you really can't experience them until you need them. We can identify grace, we can uh, define grace, God's unmerited favor, but you have to experience it at some point. We're, we're hesitant to talk about experience or feelings. You know, it get, and, and it's okay, we need to be skeptical. We don't want to get into being touchy-feely and going by our feelings. It's faith, not feelings, sure. But you know who has feelings in the Bible? Everybody. You know who has really great feelings? Jesus and God. Uh, the Father and God, the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, as we're told. That's a feeling. And so within biblical, uh, you know, mandates or, or parameters, we need to understand that we are meant to feel certain things and to experience certain things. And you have to experience grace. You can't just read about it. You have to experience mercy. And favor and all of these things. And so God doesn't create the evil, He doesn't bring the evil, but because we live in this evil world, He uses it for your good and His glory to show you how favored you are. While watching the drop ships explode, Bucky looked up and said, I love this place. When you are shielded but in some trouble, you are enabled to say, I'm loved in this place. And that's something profound. It separates us from the non-believer. The non-believer has all the same problems you do, but no solution. They are not loved in that place. They are condemned already with the world. They are loved by Jesus uh, overall, and he is drawing them to him. We're to suffer differently than the world, much differently, with joy and an attitude of evangelism. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord because he extends it to us. It in a sense belongs to us if we will just walk in it.